This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 1st, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Innovation in medicine is a challenge, and regulatory hurdles to cost-saving innovation don't help. John Davidson of the Texas Public Policy Foundation spoke with me about how a Texas board is throwing up roadblocks to the emerging field of telemedicine. Describe what Teladoc does. Teladoc is a telemedicine company. It's one of the largest ones in the country that offers telemedicine services to individuals and to businesses, uh, that, that uh, many of whom offer uh, telemedicine services to their employees as a health benefit. Uh, essentially, you call up Teladoc and speak with a physician um, over the phone or um, over um, a video feed online. Uh, and they have access to your medical records. You can call and access a physician whenever you want. And why is that a problem in Texas? In Texas, that wasn't a problem for years. But in April, the Texas Medical Board, uh, after a series of lawsuits uh, between uh, Teladoc and the Medical Board, issued a final ruling saying uh, you cannot use telemedicine services or you cannot practice telemedicine unless you first establish a doctor-patient relationship. And the only way you can establish a doctor-patient relationship is to have a face-to-face meeting. After that, then you can, uh, a physician can meet uh, remotely with a patient. But that, of course, undermines the entire purpose of telemedicine, which is to be able to offer services on demand. It reminds me, uh, very out of left field, it reminds me of the laws that a bunch of states passed that said, sure, you can have wine shipped to your home from our winery. You just have to go there first and sign a document and let them take a picture of your driver's license, and then you can have wine shipped uh, no matter where you live. Yeah, and, and, it, and it goes against the idea of mail order, and this goes against the idea of telemedicine. Right, and of course the medical board, which is um, a board of 19 appointed people, 18 of whom are physicians licensed by the State Medical Board of Texas, um, you know, they hide behind um, the argument that it's not safe. It's not safe to do to, to uh, practice telemedicine in this way. Never mind all of the other states that allow this sort of uh, telemedicine practices. Never mind that Teladoc was has been operating for years in Texas with this exact model. Um, never mind that all of the studies and all of the research shows that um, there is no risk. Uh, and in fact, in some cases, diagnostics are better in telemedicine uh, because you're uh, pre-screening. A lot of questions get asked in a telemedicine questionnaire before you ever see a doctor that sometimes physicians forget to ask. And so um, they're, they're hiding behind the safety argument, but, uh, but, but it's really about protecting their business. What evidence have they offered that this does pose some sort of risk for uh, safety and health of patients? The good thing about a medical board is that uh, they don't have to offer any evidence. <laughs> they had a, uh, they went through their formal rulemaking process this spring uh, and concluded with uh, a three-page paper in which they declared that it was not safe to practice telemedicine unless you first have a face-to-face meeting. They didn't offer any evidence, and unfortunately, uh, like a lot of appointed boards, they don't have to. They enjoy sovereign immunity and they can issue these regulations uh, w- with impunity in most cases, but not 
in the case of the North Carolina Board of Dental Examiners versus the FTC, um, which is a very hopeful development for for you know people who would like to use telemedicine in Texas, for example. Where does that leave Teladoc right now? Well, it leaves them in the middle of a very big legal battle with the board. Um, as I mentioned, they did get an injunction from the judge um, immediately, you know, very soon after they, they filed suit. So they're still able to offer their services. But the case has huge implications nationally because, of course, every state that has a medical board uh, and that has Internet connections and cell phones is going to face this question of how much are we going to let our medical board, most of which are staffed by doctors, practicing physicians that are licensed in that state, um, how much are we going to allow these medical boards to tamp down and prevent telemedicine companies from operating? So I think a lot of people are watching the Teladoc uh, Texas Medical Board case um, uh, and and kind of going to use that as a litmus test for, for uh, what to do in their state and to what degree their their own boards need to be constrained. What is the potential upside of telemedicine? I can understand that a doctor who can live in a re- relatively low-rent area and provide medical services to a high-rent area is something that is uh, fairly attractive. For the doctor. Sure. Know. Yeah. And, and there are advantages for, for doctors. And a lot of younger physicians coming out of medical school are very excited about the idea of telemedicine. It gives them more autonomy. It gives them more flexibility. But the real benefits are to the consumer, I think, uh, the, the patient. You know, for some people, it's a matter of getting some health care in the form of um, advice and, um, and information or getting nothing at all, you know? And so you think of um, a, a, an older man in rural Texas who comes home from work at the end of the day and he's experiencing chest pains. Now he's faced with a choice. Do you call 911 and sort of bring in the cavalry? Um, do you drive an hour to the hospital? Um, or do you do nothing and go to bed? Um, you can't go see your doctor, it's, it's nighttime. Uh, can't call your doctor. Your doctor's not going to come to your house. Uh, so you're faced with a choice between uh, no medical care or emergency medical care. Telemedicine gives a third option that you can have access to a doctor from your home to tell, to give you some advice about what you should do. Describe your symptoms. You know, um, doctor can look at your medical records and give you an informed decision about whether or not you need to seek care that night or, or whether you need to wait and go see your primary care physician the, the next day. So one additional option that could potentially save you thousands of dollars in medical bills that you may not have needed to spend. And could potentially save your life, too. You mentioned North Carolina Board of Dental Examiners versus FTC. What did that case determine, and why is that important here? So what happened in North Carolina is that the uh, dental board in North Carolina, which of course is a board uh, of uh, appointed dentists uh, in North Carolina, decided that they were going to shut down these tooth uh, whitening operations, uh, sort of these kiosk uh, uh, teeth whitening operations you see in the mall. Um, and they were going to say that that, that that practice is the practice of dentistry, and so only dentists can do it. Well, that, that's obviously absurd, right? Uh, any re- reasonable person can see that. Um, the FTC stepped in and 
and told the board that they could not, um, that was an abuse of sovereign immunity, essentially. And, uh, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided that case, I believe, in February in favor of the FTC. Um, and the, the ruling was specifically that appointed boards, where a majority of the boards are also market actors in the profession that they're regulating, uh, cannot appeal to sovereign immunity um, unless they have direct state oversight. Now, in a lot of states, Texas included, uh, these boards are just appointed and then lawmakers kind of just ignore them. They do whatever they want. Um, and that certainly is the case with the Texas Medical Board. So the principle at play here is uh, to what extent can uh, a board that's made up of market actors enjoy sovereign immunity uh, in the regulation of an industry that they obviously participate in. Um, and so the, the, the principles are the exact same from the, the dental board v FTC and Teladoc v TMB, right? It's the same thing at play. And so we're encouraged that the Supreme Court ruled for the FTC. And it wasn't close. It was a 6-3 decision. Yeah, and some of the conservative justices were on the wrong side of that one uh, based on the argument that states can do whatever they want. Um, and so if the state wants to empower uh, a dozen doctors to uh, shut down an entire industry, then that's their prerogative. And uh, it goes back to New Deal era jurisprudence and the creation of regulatory frameworks that captured market players in the regulation of these industries and essentially turned over the regulation of industries to special interests. Uh, and that's exactly what's, what's happening in Texas and what had happened in North Carolina. Now, we don't like the fact that the FTC had to come and step in to North Carolina. That's not what we want to happen in Texas. What should have happened in North Carolina is that the legislature should have done its job and stepped in and constrained the board. And um, that's what we hope will happen in Texas, and that's what we hope will happen in other states. The legislature steps in and gives direction and direct oversight to these boards. John Davidson is director of the Texas Public Policy Foundation Center for Healthcare Policy. We spoke at the State Policy Network's annual meeting in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Learn more about how occupational licensing can choke competition and innovation at Cato.org.